Why don't we give that up to the Lord right now? God, you are good. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome message that we have already heard, and I hope to only dovetail into that today. First off, I want to thank the staff here. Thank you, Brother Guy, for your incredible example of leadership. Uh, your incredible example of being a man. When I can walk into your office and talk about hunting and fishing, and I'm right back in the mountains again, that's, that's refreshing. If you like to talk about tight pants, I guess you have to find somebody else. But uh, thank you to the Moonies, their amazing example of. Of, of leadership, the Rodenbushes, the Kilmans, the Browns, the Brother Sleva. What an awesome example of a man of God you are. And uh, Brother Henderson, wherever he's at, um, I guess he skipped out on me today. I wanted to tell him thank you for all that he means to me and my time here. Um, also, I want to give homage. This is my last chapel to preach. So I want to give homage to some men that have gone by that have impacted my life really fast. Andrew Herbst. Uh, Josh Plummer, Phil Page, Dustin Moore, Brock Robbins. Oh my gosh, the times that we have had with Brock Robbins. Caleb Campo, James Mitchell. He's so much fun to have jokes with and on and all the other kinds of things. Derek Seagraves, the amazing talks that we've had together. Jared Turner, Stephen Batanza, Mike Mast, Zach Crossan. Thank you for your friendship to me. Gideon Acefa, wherever he's at. He's graduated, but he's really not graduated. Um, and of course, the Bishop D.I. Calvin. You are amazing. And the entire Texas crew, anyone from Texas, obviously we're the best. Um, and that's just all there is to it. I mean, you got boots right there. We got boots over here. We got boots right here. It's, it's going on, man. We're, we're catching on. We're catching on. I'm telling you. And of course, Amy Glass. She's kind of special to me. Uh, hopefully she's special to me for a whole lot longer. She's getting nervous, I can tell. Even through that Indian skin, you can see the blush every once in a while. Yes, she's a great engine woman. Phil Page, you said, man, you really are John Wayne, ain't you? <laughs> I want to turn your attention to the Word now. 2 Corinthians 6. 1 and 2 says, and if you could get uh, Revelations 12 and 10 also for later. But first, second, second Corinthians 6 says, We then as workers together with Him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For He saith, I have heard thee in thine time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I want to turn to Revelation. Not Revelations. Andrew Herbst would go on to me for that. It's Revelation 12. Very familiar portion of Scripture. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives 
unto their death. Therefore rejoice, ye, ye, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down to you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. I want to preach to you very speedily, hopefully, and be able to effectively communicate. Behold the now. Behold the now. If we could raise our hands and begin to lift up a cry of worship unto God. to prelude everything I say, first off, the fact that uh, I get to cut out some of my sermon because she preached it, and I didn't know how to preach this sermon until you got up and preached, and now I understand how to preach this sermon, and I thank her for her willingness to the Spirit, but before you can have a day of salvation, before you can experience this this moment in time that the Scripture talks of where, where salvation begins to move in a church or begins to move in a city, or dare I say, begins to move in your own life. We must precursor everything that we come off with that you have to have truth. And I'm going to come against this right now and go ahead and say it out there. We do have the full truth. We do understand the entire message of salvation. We do know all things by based on Scripture. We know exactly how to get to heaven. We know exactly what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. And if you dare, preacher, walk into a city with anything short of the full gospel, you have corrupted your church and you have corrupted that city. And I will tell you, you have corrupted the lives that are in that church. Songwriter, song singer, if you dare step into a pulpit and step behind a man of God's table and begin to sing a song that is anything short of the full message of God, you have begun to put a spirit in that church that will begin to shake that church and will begin to break that church down into something far less than what God intended for it to be. We do know the truth. And it is our duty and our responsibility as men of God, as women of God, as preachers, as songwriters, as ministers, as people that God has Put a calling on your life to touch somebody, to reach somebody, to preach that entire, full, uncorrupted, unchanged, 2,000-year-old message that started way before then when God in the very beginning said, in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. He had a plan in place. He had a message in place. He had a sermon to be spoken on the day of Pentecost already in His mind. And we have that sermon today. And if you dare preach anything less, anything short, anything far beyond, what is spoken in that word you have begun to rip apart the Bible and I say you have begun to rip apart eternity in somebody's life because we are in the eternity business Brother Mangan said it so poetically the temporary versus the eternal what are we preaching on are you preaching people into a temporary gratification so that you get a nice tithing or you get a nice slap on the back? Or is your intention behind the pulpit to preach eternity? Is your intention behind the pulpit to preach something that's going to put somebody in a place far greater than any corrupted sermon could ever put in? Are you attempting to preach a sermon that will put somebody in a position far greater than what a, a temporary pat on the back will give them? 
We must think about this. <laughs> I have my hanky, babe. I've had these for over a year and I've never used them. We see stories. If you did not, we're there for Brother Demerchin as he, he spoke. He said something that, that really shook me. He, he said he, he walked into Brazil and he changed it through search for truth. Now, I, I, my, my personal style of Bible study is I kind of, uh, my, my intro is I obviously preach truth until they get the Holy Ghost, hopefully, and then I'll go from there. Because if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're probably not really going to understand a lot of the stuff in Scripture. And so I, I, I have a hard time sometimes with the, with the, you know, we have 12 lessons and when we're done, you're an amazing Christian. But he walked in with truth. And we can't get away from that. He walked into a country, I think it was, what, 80%. Catholic when he walked into it and he walks into a country at 23 years old and begins to preach truth and now today so many years later we see not only has Pentecostalism begin to take a foothold in a major force in the Latin American countries but even the Pope himself has held meetings he's held services he's gone and take trips to Brazil in order to try and put a foothold back into that country because the oneness apostolic message has shaken that country so much that the, even the Pope himself has had to come off of his little high holy I'm speaking for God's seed and say no I understand that there's something better than what I have to offer them coming into this country you can only do that by truth. You can only do that by this apostolic message. We see men like Brother Rodenbush here. As he, he not only changed just a country, he changed entire continents. His effects are felt all over the world. When I was in Europe over the summer, I, I, I met people that almost cried when you mentioned Brother Rodenbush because of his amazing effect on their lives. I've, I've heard the stories of what all has happened in Africa during his time there and how he, he walked into a place that was totally pagan. We're not even talking about Christianity itself. We're talking about demon worship. We're talking about spirits running around, little circles where if you walk in the middle of it, you die. And he walks in and he totally radically changes them because he preached truth. Now has come the day of salvation. Now has come the day of salvation. You see, we must come to the grips. And as Brother Gurley told it to me over the summer, he says, we are in the church of now. Moving in the revival of now. Created by the God of now. Now is the time. For action now is not the time to just sit by idly by it and watch your peers walk into ministry and watch your peers walk into great moves of the Holy Ghost and, and watch your peers do all these amazing things for God and we think that we can't do anything yet. We think that we can't minister to somebody yet. I tell you, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time in which we step into the kingdom and make a difference. But what does it take? What does it take to walk into this world? What does it take to walk into this, this broken, this dying generation and begin to make a difference? What does it take to walk into a, a generation that's full of hurts and pains? What does it take to walk into a generation that's, that's corrupted by drugs and alcohol and, and the things of, of Hollywood has begun to corrupt their minds? What does it take? I, I tell you, first off, it takes a piece of grit. It takes something that's inside of you that, that says, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be moved. It doesn't matter what seems to come up against my life. I'm going to keep on pressing. I'm going to keep on pushing, as Aaron, as Aaron so, so poetically said. It doesn't matter what kind of trials or struggles seem to hit on you. It doesn't matter if it doesn't seem like there's this wall in front of you. If you keep on pushing, if you keep on letting God feel you, if you keep on letting God restore you and revive you, and you let God come into your life in a special way, it will happen. That breakthrough will come. 
Where do we see this? You see, right after Paul speaks of this day of salvation, he goes through a laundry list of things that the ministry comes up against. And he doesn't start off with the good things. Rather, we see in verse 4 and 5, he starts off with the bad things. He says, "For for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. That doesn't sound fun, does it? Whoops, that's verse 5. That fit it too. It says, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in which patience and affliction and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonment and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. You see, this, this apostolic message doesn't always bring on these a wonderful, amazing times. We, this life, this, 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 message that you're, this message that you're walking out to preach won't always produce no preachers of L.A. kind of cars and, and, and houses. That's not what ministry's about. That's not, that's not even close to what ministry's about. Paul never one time talked about all the fancy things he owned. He was a tent maker. That's all he did. He, 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 he said that he was proud of the fact that he didn't have everything. He was proud of the fact that he could make his own living. He was proud of the fact that he didn't really have all that much because he knew that he was changing the world. He said... So, so incredibly, we don't like to talk about it. And we don't like to, to think about it because it, it makes us feel bad. But he, he, he gives a, a long list of things that he's gone through. He talks about the shipwrecks. He talks about the, the trials that he's gone through. He talks about the times he's been whipped, the times he's been beaten. And you understand that this isn't just talking about the Old Testament church. This happens today. John was stuck on an island, deserted from, from nobody. I'm, I'm really not that much of a people person, but if I didn't get to see anybody for a long time, I, I'd get pretty messed up. I'd probably start seeing things in the ocean too. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be from God, but I'd start seeing weird stuff. We see this is a lonely life. I believe it was Brother Kilman that talked about how lonely this life is sometimes. It's, or maybe it was you. It was you that was talking about it. You were talking about the family that, that, that how lonely this life is, this, this, this message that, that, that we're going forth to preach, it's, it's not always going to put you in a place where there's a bunch of people. It's not always going to put you in a place of, of comfort. It's not always going to put you in a, in a posh situation where, where everything seems like it's going right. Sometimes it seems like all hell on earth breaks loose as soon as you walk into the will of God. Sometimes it feels like everything's coming against you when you begin to walk in the will of God. We see the Old Testament uh, prophets as they would begin to preach and, and Isaiah himself says from the womb he was called he was he was so uh, helplessly called that he, he just couldn't help himself he just had to go out and preach but yet we see the loneliness we see the hurt we see the times that he was stripped to the side we see the times that he was exiled from cities that people didn't want to listen to what he had to say people didn't understand people didn't care what he, he would come in and, and this is something that we need to understand that he preached stuff that didn't always feel good you don't get kicked out of a city by preaching the feel-good message. You don't get, you don't get thrown out of, out of countries if you're, if you're preaching the feel-good message. This isn't always fun, but this isn't just happening in the Old Testament. You see, my, my pastor, he had three sons, and one died when he was, I think, three days old. The second one grew uh, rather... Uh, uh, large, not just uh, uh, not just in waist size. I mean, in, in age, he he grew up to be an adult, and he was engaged. And all of a sudden, one day, he uh, he was at work, and he he fell asleep, just just like that, fell asleep. He was perfectly wide awake, and he fell asleep. 
They couldn't understand why, so they took him to the doctor, and, and one thing led to another, and, and through a process of about six months, he uh, went into a coma. And uh, during that time, he, 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 he would wake up every, every once in a while, but he couldn't, he couldn't move. Nothing, nothing worked anymore. And, and for four and a half years, he was in that coma. For four and a half years, they had to do 24-7 care on him. There was only three people in the house. There was an oldest brother that would take care of him, and then my, my pastor's wife and then my pastor. And that was the only three, and so they had to take rotating shifts every day for four years. No breaks, no vacations, no nothing. And they had to take care of him, and ultimately he died. And we didn't understand why, and we, we, didn't, we couldn't fathom what was going on. We didn't really fully understand why, but now I can go home to my church and I see that my church has reached a level of prayer that we never had before. I, I, I hear stories, and I'm obviously not there, but I, I go home and I hear stories of these amazing services that go on because our people are praying again, our people are fasting again, our people are worshiping God like they've never worshipped Him again because even through the trials they found something great. Even through the trials they found something happy and joyous about it in God. But it wasn't always that way. It was painful. It was hard. That was just a couple years ago. You see men like Elder Brother Kilgore. He was an amazing man. There were books written about him. He had an incredible church, I think 1,500 at, at one time. It was an amazing church, but it started out with just a, a, home, a home Bible study is how it started. And, and even before that, he had to watch his own sister die in his arms while he was praying that God would heal her. And we see them today, and we see the revival that they had, and we see the amazing moves of God that they had, but it didn't always start out that way. There was this time that they had to go through where the true grit of what they had in their, in their heart, when the true push of what they had in their soul had to be tested. Brother Gurley got up and he, he preached and he talked about how his entire church was destroyed. And I lived through that hurricane. I watched that hurricane. I heard the trees snapping of that hurricane. I was at the lake and at my, at my grandparents' lake house. And I, I, I was sitting in my room praying that one didn't hit me. And I heard them snapping all around. And, and I saw as one hit a car. I saw as one took down an entire uh, a, a, a garage that a man had. But around our house, it was amazing. There wasn't even a branch in our house. But I remember coming home in the town next to mine. There was 1,400 homes that were standing in the town at the time of the hurricane. And there was only 12 houses that were livable at the end. The entire town was gone. And obviously it went up into Houston and began to uh, affect the girlies' church. And, and we see that his church, as he told the story of Mark, how it, how it dropped down. He didn't even know if there would be enough people to fill up the building when they got into the new building. But out of that trial, out of that struggle, came a great revival. But it had to go through the hard times. There had to be that, that moment where he did walk into that church building and he began to pray and say, God, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how bad the circumstances seem. Lord, you told me to go up there and you told me to take it down to the stones and the steel. You told me to walk in there and preach truth. You told me to walk in there and preach holiness and essentiality and, and the truth that You have given me and the fathers before me and, and people that have changed this world. And I will continue to preach that truth no matter what. And we see that He preached that truth no matter what. And now their church is a growing, thriving church. And, and obviously they have the greatest music leader in the world going to pretty soon. That's awesome. But there had to be that moment in time where their grit was tested. There had to be that moment in time where the true gumption of what was inside them had to be tested and tried. 
Sometimes that can be at IVC. Sometimes that hard time can be just trying to get through this class. Sometimes this hard time can be maybe trying to get through my sermon. I don't know. Maybe it's trying to get through that boring class. Maybe it's trying to graduate. When the true grit of what you're made of is tested, you want to go home. You don't care what even goes on around here anymore. I've got senioritis. I've got an excuse. (laughs) I'm done. In two months, I'm gone. I've got an excuse, right? But there has to be that time where your grit is tested. Your, Your true urge is tested. I'm trying not to jump ahead. This is really difficult. You see, if we lose sight of where God is bringing us through, then we lose sight of where God is bringing us to. If we lose sight of the trial that we're going through now, if we lose sight of what God's trying to teach us now, what God's trying to to show us now, maybe God is testing whether you're really capable of preaching this truth. Maybe God really is testing whether you're capable of making it in ministry. That's what IBC is. It's a weeding out period. If you're not capable, you're not capable. But maybe that's the whole point. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's what God's trying to do. Maybe that hard time that you're going through is God saying, I know you can make it, but I want to see that you can make it. And I want you to see that you can make it. You see, sometimes that's the, the greatest testimony. The, the verse we read says that, that through the word of their testimony, sometimes the greatest testimony isn't that God brought you out, but I know in my own mind God brought me through something. He can bring me through it again. I know that I can look back way back when I was in Bible college and I, I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to go to chapel. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to fast. I felt like I just wanted to go home and leave, but I know that God brought me through. Later on, when you're looking back, God brought me through. We can't lose sight of what God is bringing us through. How do we get through this? How do we, how do we push on? What do we, what do we see? What do, we, what do we need to do? How, how do we get through this moment in time? I say that I believe that it is through our relationship with God. And this is where it gets real. This is where it gets personal. This is where it gets difficult. This is the part that we don't like to talk about. You see, this says, by the overcame by the blood of the Lamb. I believe that that is a direct correlation to our relationship. Because you don't get the blood without the relationship. You don't get the testimony without the relationship. I believe our relationship with God is the most important thing in the world. See, if you're not praying, you're really not getting anywhere in ministry. If you're not fasting, you're, you're not really going to get that far in ministry. If you're not putting this word in your heart, you're not gaining all that you can gain at this school. Brother Kilman, he, he, he ripped into my heart the other day. He was... Pre- or he was uh, well. He was he was preaching, but it was in class, and he he said something that that began to gnaw on me, and I, and I dare say it was one of the most influential quotes I've ever heard in my life. He said, "The degree to which you pray is directly correlated to the degree in which you believe that you are totally dependent on God." And I, I first, of course, any time that something really hits you in the mouth, you don't really like to talk about it. It kind of hurts your feelings a bit, and you say, well, you know, I don't know about all that. I'll, I'll look into that. And so uh, I pressed it to the side, and I began to think about it later on. I began to look at things in my own life where I wasn't relying on God. I, I relied on myself. You're not going to make it through ministry by yourself. You, 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 might, you might make it for a while. 
You, you might actually preach those sermons on your own, on your own talent and on your own ability that, that, that wow the crowd. You might sing those songs and, and because you know all the chords just right, you really put a lick on somebody's heart and they, they feel a little something, something, but you'll never change somebody's life off your own accord. You'll never change somebody's heart off your own accord. When you go walking into that Bible study, if all you have to offer is just a little word and something like that, but you don't have something swelling up inside of you that says this is truth, this is right way of living, this is the holy way of living, you're never going to walk in and change that life. When we went over and we were talking to Devin, and he was talking about, he, he, we didn't tell the whole story. He, we walk in there and, and he begins to talk about his life and he's talking about how there is his, uh, I believe it was his girlfriend had a kid with somebody else was saying that it was his kid and asking for child support and all this stuff. And if we had went and walked into that house and just had a little cute little Bible study and that's all we had and, and, and we didn't have something that said, I can know a God that can get you out of this. I know a God that I have a relationship with that can pull you out because he pulled me out because he showed me his strength because he showed me his power you're not going to be able to to help that person it's all based off of our relationship with god how much are we dependent on god how much are we willing to push our will to the side and let god move and let god flow and, and let god do a work in somebody's life there was a youth group in texas and and a, a friend of mine went and preached for them and he he uh he prophesied felt the spirit of prophecy come over him and so he gives a prophecy that said that uh, if the youth group began to pray, that they would see revival. The youth group, being not just an ordinary youth group, took it upon themselves to begin to pray before service. And the first service comes through, and they, they go in the back, and they begin to pray. But it wasn't just an ordinary, God, I, you know, I, we need some help, God. We, 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 they began to seek God's face. Because they didn't wish to just talk to God. They wished to connect with God. And pretty soon that, that prayer meeting turned in and the time began to run on and they began to get lost in the Holy Ghost and time for worship came. And so where's all the youth? So they went and they found them. They're all strung out on the floor praying and crying and weeping and, and travailing before God. And so they say, well, let's just cancel the, the worship service. Let's pull them all in. So they literally were taking them and dragging them into the, to the, to the, uh, to the sanctuary. And, and they were slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues and, and lost in the Holy Ghost and it began to, to the time began to slip away into the preaching and preacher said no I'm, I'm not going to preach let's just pray and the whole church began to cry out in the spirit of prayer and worship not just talking to God but connecting with God and the, the service was swept away with the prayer meeting the next week comes by and the same exact thing happens they pull them out song service goes by preaching time goes by and they just pray this went on for seven weeks and out of those seven weeks of nothing but relationship with God, the church doubled. They didn't pass out one flyer. They didn't go knock one door. But because of the relationship with God that they had sought for, that they had not just came into a prayer meeting and said, I'm going to talk to God and put in my hour and walk away. They said, no, I'm going to come down and I'm going to connect with God and I'm going to get that relationship with God and I'm going to get that relationship with truth like I know I need. I'm going to get that relationship with my Creator like I know I need. They begin to see revival. We see the life of, of Paul and I believe that he says something that that we don't really always like to talk about in, in Acts 20. He, he, we talk about you know going into the 
into the city uh, and, and, and none of these things move me and, and that's all great and I'm never shaken. But he said something so important before it and I believe the key of the verse is not the fact that he was unshakable but the fact that he says, I go bound by the Spirit. When was the last time that we were bound by the Spirit? When was the last time that we felt something so strong, something so powerful, something so, so captivating of our soul that we felt bound by the Spirit? I looked up the word, and, and, and the word bound isn't just, a, isn't just like a, a rope tie around you or something. It's it referenced to chains. It's the same word that they used when they double-chained up Paul before he went for the, before the king because they didn't want him to get away. It's the same word used when they, when they talk about binding up Jesus. This, 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 this word bind isn't just I'll shake out of it and go away. This word bind is something that, that reaches down into the very, it reached down into the very core of Paul's soul and said it doesn't matter what's going on because the third and, and final step as the musicians come and we, we come to a close. The third and final piece, I believe, of now. The, first, the third and, and final piece of, of now is a willingness to go. Not just a, a mere willingness to go. Not just a mere casual, yeah, sure, I don't, I don't mind, God. You know, you said you want me to do something. I'll, I'll do it. It's okay. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. A willingness to go that says it doesn't matter. I am bound by the Spirit. Preachers, you know what this feels like when you're bound by a message. You know what it's like. You can't, you can't shake that message. You can't, you can't get it out of your head. You can't, you, there's something about it. Every time you think, every time you talk, every time you sit down to read the Word, you can't get away from it. So sing songwriters, you, you've had this exact same feeling when you have a song on your heart and you just can't help it. You sing it all the time. I don't understand it. I'm not a singer, so, but I've heard you all talk about how you can't get that song out of your head. You can't get that song out of your heart. You just have to sing it over and over and over and over and over. When was the last time that we were bound by the Spirit? Behold the now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time in which we are called to go out and reach this world. Now is the time in which we are told by God that we are to go out and reach somebody's life and, and reach into somebody's heart and begin to, to pull on their strings and begin to pull them towards truth and pull them towards right living and pull them towards God. But are we willing to go? Are we so bound by the calling that God has placed in our life that we can't help but go? Are we so bound by this call of God that we have in our life that we have no choice but to reach into somebody's life? We have no choice but to pray. We have no choice but to fast. We have no choice but to seek that relationship with God because we are bound by the Spirit. If you haven't been bound by the Spirit in a long time, today's a good day. If you haven't been bound by the Spirit in a long time, today is a good day. You see, when you are bound by the Spirit, when that willingness to go, when the relationship meets in, and, 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 and the truth comes in and it begins to meet with that relationship and it gives you that unction to go, that's when all the worry begins to slip away. When you're bound by the Spirit, you're not worried about what could happen. When you're bound by the Spirit, there's no fear of maybe they won't like me, maybe they won't talk to me anymore, maybe they'll just laugh in my face. 
When you're bound by the Spirit, Paul, as he said, right after he says this, though he knows that chains are coming. He knows that afflictions are coming. He said, none of these things move me, not because of some, some movement of faith, but because he was bound by the Spirit. Because he beheld the now. He knew that now was his time to go. He knew that now was his time to go to, to Rome. And, and he knew that inevitably he would die. But he knew that now was his time. Because he beheld the now. He beheld the day of salvation. He was bound by the Spirit. Zach, you told me something that, that, that shook my life. You were you were talking right after right after reality weekend. You came in my room and you were talking about how tired you were and, and how you didn't want to do anything and you were mad at the world and all that stuff. And and then you said, but I want to go and I want to finish those doors that we didn't get to knock. And that shook me down to my core because I, I knew he was tired. I knew he had worked all the time. But he said, I still want to I still want to go and I want to knock those last few doors. There was only a couple left. There was like five or six that you didn't get to knock. But you wanted to go knock those doors because he was bound with something far greater than his own his own action. He was bound by something greater than his own gumption. He was bound by the Spirit. It took more than just than just a, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a preacher. Yeah, I feel like I'm a worship leader for my, my pastor and his family to get through that four and a half years of misery and pain and fake prophecies given that there would be healing and, 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 and all these things coming through that they, they do for sure he was going to be healed and then he dies. It took more than just a little push on the back to get him through that. It took a bound by the Spirit mentality. It took more than just, than just a little, I know that this is the church I'm called to for for, for Brother Kilgore to push through that time. And there was a time where he literally locked himself into the attic and said, God, until you give me revival, I'm never coming out of this attic. It took more than just a, a, a small little bit of faith. It took a, I am bound by the Spirit. And I ask you today, how many times have we been bound by the Spirit? When was the last time that we got out of a prayer meeting and we said, God, I am bound by the Spirit. I must go. I must talk. I must preach. I must sing. I must write. When was the last time that we felt that unction and that burden and that, that pain down in our soul that said, God, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what's on the other side. It doesn't matter what's on the other end of this. It doesn't matter if it's riches and fame. It doesn't matter if it's a backwater town in the middle of nowhere, Texas. God, I am bound by the Spirit and I must go. We are the church of now moving in a revival of now through the God of now. Now is the time to be bound by the Spirit. Now is the time to go. It doesn't matter if you don't have anywhere to go. It doesn't matter if you don't really you feel like this is where you're supposed to be. You can still be bound by the Spirit today. You can still begin to feel that gumption again that says it doesn't matter how hard the classes seem. It doesn't matter how hard the work seems. I'm bound by the Spirit to finish. I'm bound by the Spirit that this is a training ground. This is a proving ground. I'm going to make it through this time. I'm going to make it through this trial because later on I can look back and say I know God can bring me through I know God can bring me through maybe it's a sickness maybe it's a family situation maybe your church is falling apart you go home and it feels like your youth group isn't connected with God none of them are praying and it feels like everybody's dressing wrong and acting wrong and living wrong and I'm the only one left you can go bound by the Spirit you can go bound by the Spirit if we could all stand 
I believe there's a there's a binding spirit in here today, and I'm not talking about a, a bad one by what the devil would greet. I'm talking about a spirit of God that's willing to walk into somebody's life and say, You can make it. You can keep pushing. You can keep pressing. It doesn't I know that what you, I was watching an interview by JJ Watt, one of my favorite football players, and I'll I'll end with this. And, and he said, I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to accomplish at the end of the year, and I far exceeded those because no one could tell me no. No one could tell me I couldn't do it. Somebody told me one time, I, I can't get, you can't accomplish this. And I laughed in his face and I said, watch. He turned into one of the, the greatest players last year. But he had an attitude that said, it doesn't matter how hard it seems. It doesn't matter how difficult it seems. It doesn't, I know that it looks impossible. See, sometimes God tells you to do something impossible. Sometimes God tells you to do something that you can't fathom, that you know without a shadow of a doubt your own abilities cannot put you into. And God says, I know. That's why I'm telling you to do it. Because if I am in you, if you are bound by my Spirit, if you have the willingness to go that far exceeds just the action of faith, but a binding of my Spirit, you can accomplish anything. If you haven't felt that Spirit, if you haven't felt that binding Spirit, I ask you to come. If you're going through that hard time and you need that binding spirit that says, I will go no matter what because I am bound by the Holy Ghost, come. The binding spirit of God is here. The binding spirit of the Holy Ghost is here. The binding spirit that says it doesn't matter the trial. It doesn't matter how hard it seems. It doesn't matter how impossible that dream looks. I know that I can go. I know that I can do in Jesus' name.